say something about my education is that <laughs> is I didn't learn the Bible when I went to school. I read it myself. And I want you to know that because some people say, I want to learn the Bible, so I want to go to school. And I want to say, well, gosh, how easy is that? It doesn't cost you a thing. <laughs> so I studied, I studied myself for a long time. I just... I got to a point where I was saying to myself, oh, my aunt, I just don't know this. I, I had been on the mission field, and I felt like I wasn't good at discipling people because I didn't have a good foundation in the Word of God. Now, you may go, oh, you were on the mission field, and you really didn't know the Bible. Well, I knew cut and paste style. Do you know that where you cut? I, I knew just little snippets here and there that I've been taught and the fun things that I like to read. And so we all like our favorite verses, don't we, that we go to. <clears throat> and so I loved that. But I can remember when I was trying to disciple this young woman in Belgium, and uh, I was at a loss. And so I didn't have it together then. And I can remember thinking, if the Lord ever sends me back after I came back home, if he ever sends me back, I've got to know something. And so at my age that I am now, I'm 58, at my age now, people will say, you know the Bible. And I will say, shame on me if after all these years, because I came to know the Lord as a young teenager, that I wouldn't know it, that it wouldn't be precious, that it wouldn't be precious to me. So I encourage you to read it because it will straighten out a lot of theology, bad theology. <clears throat> of which I had some. And so when I started uh, digging into it, it really helped me. And it took me a long time. It's a long process. But there's nothing better. To me, there's nothing better. It helps me more than anything. And then after I studied it, just on my own, the Lord said, it's time for you to go back to school. And maybe with a little bit of kicking and screaming, I did that because I'd been out of school for so long. And I can remember that first test that I took, I was like hyperventilating. Oh, oh my gosh, am I going to be able to do this? <clears throat> but the Lord helped me. Uh, in my undergraduate, I wasn't that great of a student because I loved the social life. <laughs> anybody like that when you're in college? Social life was it. Forget the academics. But I did graduate, and I graduated fine. But that was not my focus. And so I had to grow up a little bit. But, you know, when I think about my life and I think about what the Lord has done in my life, it is amazing that I'm here standing here because I'm just an ordinary person. I am a homebody. I love to be at home. I love to work with my hands. I, I wanted to learn pottery, so I did. When I was at Auburn, I went to Auburn University undergraduate. <clears throat> and one of the things I learned at Auburn, and people make fun of this, but I actually did it, was I took weaving. You know how they say, oh, you took under ba underwater basket weaving. Well, I took weaving. <laughs> and then when I got married, my sweet husband built me a loom. It's this big old floor loom. Have you ever seen them? And so I love to create like that. As a matter of fact, I, I get energized when I do that. Um, so just if you have any grand ideas that I'm so smart now, I did learn about history. I learned about what other denominations think. It was very fascinating to me. I learned some things that I'm like, that's not what the Word of God says. 
And so I took the meat and I spit out the bones. And that's what we have to do. It's called discernment. And so I learned a lot as we were worshiping. I was thinking about what I'm going to talk to you today. And and one of the songs, it says, in the silence, in the waiting, he is good. And that's where I am in my life right now. In the silence and in the waiting, he is good. I want to talk to you about faith, hope, and love in light of suffering. Now, nobody likes suffering, do we? We like run from suffering. We run from pain. We run from trials. We run from those things. I was talking to my niece, Aspen. Do y'all know Aspen? Who knows Aspen in here? Aspen, she's an awesome young woman. She grew up on the mission field where there were signs and wonders and people raised from the dead. And she has a tenacity and a determination like no other, honestly. And she's the happiest thing, and she loves people. She loves to exchange ideas. But her intent is to share Jesus with you and for you to get saved. (laughs) And she does it with such grace. She loves people. But the one thing that a lot, and she has such joy. But the one, people that, one thing that people don't, don't know about Aspen is that she has suffered all of her life with stomach issues. She has suffered greatly, like a high amount of pain. And you might know it or you may not know it, but she has suffered all of her life. She was in a small group, and uh, she was with some, some uh, young men and women at college, and someone said, you know, if you know who you are in Christ, then, then you will not suffer from certain things. You will not suffer. And so here she is, Aspen, suffering, but yet more than anybody probably in that room, she has seen the power of God, and she knows him so intimately if you know her. That's her main drive in life is to pursue Jesus and that you would know him that way too. And just with grace and kindness and joy. So she got to thinking about that. She was like, I don't agree with that. I do not agree with that. Now, in my life, in all of my years of walking and different theologies and different teachings have come, I have heard that. I have heard that you don't have to suffer that there are certain things that you will not face because of what Jesus has done for, for you. And so consciously or unconsciously, I have even agreed with that because I look at it one little, maybe one little scripture. I haven't looked at the whole counsel of God. I, I, for some reason, we think that a perfect life demonstrates that I've got it all together. I mean, we do that, and sometimes we do that to others. If somebody's suffering or they're having a hard time and we're looking at them, now, I will say that sometimes we suffer at the hands of our own sin, a cycle of destruction. I'm not talking about that, all right? Because Jesus came to set us free from that. I'm talking about suffering just because circumstance is something that's beyond your control. Or you get sick. Or something, you know, there's, there's conflict in, re- in relationships and you're trying your best to resolve it, but it's just not happening. You know, there's a lot of scenarios. And so sometimes we think, well, what is that person doing wrong? Because we think that the perfect like is an indication of he's got it together, she's got it together. But you know what? If that is the case, 
then I don't have it together. I, I don't have it together. Right now, as I stand up here, my life is not perfect. And my life is good. And Jesus is with me. And I know that without a doubt. And I have a deep-seated sense of who he is inside my heart. And nothing on this earth is going to change that. And I am determined to see things through to the end. And sometimes we lack that, you know. So in my own life, I just want to share a couple of things. So when I went on the mission field, they, we were a team. I was the only American on my team. There were some guys from England and Holland and Germany. And so we went on this, uh, they sent us to Brighton, England. And Brighton, England at that time in 1979 and 80 and 81 was the center for the uh, occultism in Europe. Well, I'm from Pinson, Alabama, on a farm with the cows and the chickens and the goats and, and, and the pigs. And I had never in my life ever been around such darkness. So we had the fight with the darkness, but the Lord was with me. We had people that were supposed to be overseeing us and taking care of us. I was just right out of college that were supposed to be taking care of us that were not taking care of us. Uh, myself and another girl that was the, the girl on the t team, Conce, she, uh, we had to go out and find us a place to live. And someone said, well, go over there to that hotel. And so we went to this hotel. Little did we know that it was the hotel of the ladies of the night, if you know what I mean. <laughs> you don't know what I mean? <laughs> He's a good man, isn't he? He's got a pure heart. And so the ladies of the night, and so this, the person that was supposed to be watching out after us did not. And we lived in this place for six weeks, and I'll never divulge what it is that we experienced. And another thing is our bathroom was down the hall. It was not even in en suite. So there were troubles all around. It was the darkest place in my life. Well, come to find out, they didn't want us there. They didn't want us there. We were out on the streets. We were doing teen challenge work. We were sharing the gospel. And back in those days, I was just like a bulldozer. So much so that everybody, I'd, I probably really turned some people off, but I was there to share the gospel and to just go forward. But they ran us out of there. They ran us out. They persecuted us, actually. However... I didn't have a good foundation in the Word of God, and I did not realize that it was persecution. And nobody encouraged me in that. And you know what? I was the leader of the team, which was not a good idea now that I look back. But I was the leader of the team, and I was the last person down because I was the captain of the boat. And you know what? People said all kind of manner of evil against me. But it was things like, she's a woman. And it was things like, she has this smile that drives us nutty. Now, that's ridiculous, isn't it? And, you know, she's always thinking positively. It was terrible because they ran us out. And, you know, I was, we had to leave there. We left and went back to Germany where the, the uh, headquarters was. And I can remember, it took me a long time, months, to get over that because I thought, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? I could have done a lot of right things. But I can remember this one man sat me down for two hours and told me how horrible I was. You don't pray right. You don't look good, use the scripture right. You don't do all this. Just destroyed me in that. And I, 
I was at a loss because I was giving my all to Jesus. During this time, I didn't get support either. So I depended on cookies and tea if somebody had it. So there were several months I got no money to eat with. And so I've known the hardship. But you know what? When I started studying the Word of God and I came across where, where Paul was run out of town right. in various places, I thought, oh, look up there. I have been run out of town. <laughs> and you know what? I was encouraged. I was encouraged. I was like, it felt terrible. It was heartache to me. And I wish somebody would have told me. You know, what? things like this do happen. It's not always rosy and good and, and perfect like we think. I, even my brother, you know, Brett, he was actually had to leave Mexico because of the bad guys were after him. And you'd think, of all things, Brett, why would he have to leave? He's such a strong man of God. But you know what? We are persecuted all the day long. And God says that we are blessed because of that. So I've seen some trouble, and I've seen some trial, and I've wondered, what in the world did I do wrong? And then the most perfect day of my life was the day that I married Dale. It was a perfect day. Everything went smooth, didn't it, Dale? It did. It was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. Well, I, as I look back on it, of course, that was 34 years ago. I think how perfect. But, you know, in our lives, there are circumstances that happen. Fast forward a little bit. My sister that is just about 16 months younger than me at 31 got cancer. And she battled cancer, breast cancer, for 12 years. And on the day that she died, it shocked me. Because without a doubt, I knew that she would not die and that she would live. That's, that's so disappointing. You feel despair over those things. Because we were very close. And she was awesome to have around. She was so much fun and... She was a type A personality to the max. And the sad part about it is that she left a young teenage daughter with no father. It's so sad when I think about it today, but I have good news. That that daughter, her name is Sunny Lee, is married, has four children. She's the sweetest and the most wonderful thing. She has an amazing testimony. And so then there were other things right after that when my sister died. Then fast forward a little bit, a few years Dale's mother got Alzheimer's. She ended up living with us for two years. And so we had to take care of her. To be a caregiver can be a kind of difficult. It can be a little lonesome at, at times, too. And you're, watching, you're losing somebody gradually. And that is a difficult. It's difficult. My father-in-law had, father had uh, leukemia. And so there have been, these are just snippets. There are other things, you know. There are things in life that we have to deal with people and with our own selves, our own humanity that we struggle with. And fast forward to last year. Last year. Some of last year and this year. It's been a very difficult time, as some of you know. The Dale's not feeling well, and we're trying to grapple through that whole thing. But we trust God. We do not give up, even though we do feel we have despair sometimes. And I tell you all this, I give you a little snippet of all this for a reason. That suffering is not hypothetical to me. It is not. But I have faith, hope, and love in my heart that helps me. It helps me. It's going to help us. You know, life is not per perfect. And when I think about 
uh, all the things that are going on in the world when, with, with the young men in Louisiana and Minnesota. And, and then we have the police in Dallas and um, Baton Rouge and San Diego, right? Wasn't there something in San Diego? <clears throat> and then the heartache with the hot balloon that just happened. Uh, I think that it's, 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 it's as if violence and lawlessness, something has broken open and it's just everywhere. And I, I, I grieve for that. And I'm like, oh man, it, it, you feel helpless at times, don't you? And then you think about what's going on around the world. You think about the coup that happened in Turkey and you think about the tragedies that are happening in France and Germany. And, and I don't mean to be a downer, but these are the things that we think of. We, we look around and, and we see people's lives fracturing and then the crazy political climate that is going on. <laughs> I'm just thinking, what in the world? People have just let manners go out the window. Hey, I want to tell you something. Manners are good. Manners are good. Being considerate of people is good. So let's be mannerly, will you? All right. So life is not perfect. But we need to realize that the world is no more fallen today than it was yesterday or a thousand years ago. And that Jesus is no more less powerful than he was ever. He is so powerful. He said in John 16, 33, in the world you will have tribulation. And that tribulation is like a millstone that is grinding that corn or that grain or whatever, just grinding it to a pulp. Have you ever felt like that? I feel like that. I feel like he's just grinding me in like a potter. I don't know if y'all saw that potter. You know, just the, the word potter means to squeeze into shape. And I feel like he's squeezing me into shape. So obviously, I haven't arrived because he's still squeezing me into shape. And so we can be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world. He says, take heart because I have overcome the world. We need to take heart. We see all the negative. We see all the things. We see all the struggling. But he says, take, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So how do we approach hard times? How do we approach sickness? How do we approach sadness? How do we approach suffering and troubled times? How do we do it? Sometimes we want to run from it. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's these things, faith, hope, and love. The linchpin of our life and our walk in Christ is faith, hope, and love. This is a linchpin. Two different kind of linchpins. It says a linchpin is a person or a thing that holds something together in the most important part of a com- most important part of a complex system. So this is a linchpin that goes on a uh, uh, a hitch. So you got the ball and you got the hitch. But if that's all that is that holds it together, it's probably going to pop off because you're going to hit a bump and poof, it's going to pop off. But you've got this little thing, it has a hole, there's a hole in the ball and the hitch that goes straight through, and you're going to take it and push it through, and then you're going to take this lynch pin. See, it looks like a bobby pin, glorified bobby pin. And then you pop it on there, and it holds it, and it is going to hold it together. This is a lynch pin, like, that goes on a hub of a wheel, and you poke it in there and pull it around, and it holds it tight in there. Love is a linchpin. Hope is a linchpin. Faith is a linchpin. And I believe that we need all three. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through Romans. I'm going to start at chapter 5 and read a couple of verses, and then we're going to skip over to chapter 8. 
and I'm going to read through this chapter, and I'm going to show you, because it just became evident to me that he's saying that faith, hope, and love is so important to us. All right? I want you to see what it looks like from scriptures. Because if we're looking at the world from a worldly standpoint, then we're shot. But if we look at the world from a biblical standpoint, we've got it made. It's the difference. We've got to know the difference. Romans 5, 1 and 2. I think it's going to go up. Yeah. So I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I felt like it was just a little bit easier to understand with this concept. It says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So what is the thing? The, the, the beginning of this is that we have faith in God, right? And because we have faith in God, we are going to have peace with God, right? And he's, so our faith, what is faith? It is a firm conviction. It is a persuasion that affects all of your being. And we have a firm conviction that God is who he says he is. Now, if you've never read the Bible or nobody's ever told you about God, then your idea of God is probably erroneous or very minimal at, to, at best. You might think he's creator. But when you read the word of God, you see what he has done for us. And in this little passage right here, and then also Romans 8, we see what he has done for us. God has given us peace. Why? Because we were separated from him, and Jesus took down that wall of separation, and now we are close to God. God is not far from us. We have peace with God. Now, this peace that it's talking about in there is a state. We have peace with God. Whether you feel peaceful or not, you have peace with God if you have put your trust in him. Now, hopefully, the feelings come. But sometimes we're in an anxious state because of things around us. We don't necessarily feel peace. But you've got to remind yourself we have peace with God because it brings us near to God. Our faith, by grace, we're saved. It's not of ourselves. We can't boast about it. It is an undeserved privilege. We have undeserved privilege. It's not based on anything that I have done and we stand in that so I think that's the basis of our salvation right we know that but it's good to go over it so turn with me to chapter 8 verses 1 and 2 it says so now because he's given a conclusion of this point that he has made in chapter 5 he's he said a bunch of things in between those chapters he says that uh, you know we are no longer uh, covered over by sin. We're no longer, uh, sin does not master over us, that we have the life of God. And we're released from the law because we can live in newness of life. He's, he's going through that and talking about that. But then he makes this conclusion in um, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 8. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So we are no longer condemned. One of the reasons we're no longer condemned, it says in there, is because sin and death no longer have mastery over us. We are freed from the power of sin. It doesn't hold us back anymore. And that's good news. So... 
from verses 3 on to about 13, uh, Paul, he's very wordy. So I didn't put everything in here. But he's very wordy. And in this, he's saying that the Spirit has freed us. And the thing that pleases God most is if, if we'll let the Spirit rule us. Because that brings life and that brings peace. So if you're struggling in your life with God, you need to surrender and let the Spirit take over. Amen. It's just as simple as that. We, we make it difficult. We make it difficult because we fight against that. And we don't do anything to, to do this. Then in verse 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Isn't that something? We don't have an obligation now to do what the devil made us do do we we don't because we have been freed by the holy spirit for if you live by it it dictates you will die but if through the power of the spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature you will live for all who are led by the spirit of god are children of god so our response is to put to death the deeds of the sinful nature we need to recognize it we need to know what those are and how do we know that those are we read the word of god he gives us a list and also, we allow the Holy Spirit. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is going to convict us. And so we listen to that. It is a walk of faith. It is a relationship with God. And He allows us and He takes us to where we need to be. It's by the Holy Spirit that lives within us. It's so key for us. It's the thing that pleases God more than anything. Verse 15 through 16. So you not... So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, or Dad. You're my dad. We don't say that to people that are not our dads. There's a special relationship, unless, they have a spe unless they're a special relationship, right? So for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So we are no longer condemned because sin and death no longer have mastery over us. We're no longer condemned because we are his child and he is our dad. And we didn't deserve that. He just put us into right standing with that. Verse 17 and 19. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. We have something to look forward to. He's got so much more for us. We, have, we need to have an eternal perspective in life. Because when we, do, when we don't, we're myopic, then we get burned down by all the things that happen to us. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, and we want his glory, don't we? Glory means to shine. It means to think. It means to ponder about the beauty of God. And you know what? I mean, how in the world do you describe or how do you define the beauty of God? We all probably define it in different ways. It's, it's, it's this philosophy that you can't hardly define it. But that's what we have. We share in his glory. But then he says, yikes, that we must also share in his suffering. Oh, we don't like that. It's kind of like the antithesis of glory is so great. It's so wonderful. I want it. I want it. I want it. I want that beauty of God in my life. That's what Aspen has, the beauty of God in her life, regardless of what her body has gone through all these years. But then he says, we must also share in his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to us later. So it's hope, y'all. That's hope of like, okay, 
So if things are really bad for you right now, they may not. It may be a, a sabbatical time, and thank the Lord for that. But I know, as long that I live, that there's these cycles that things do happen, whether it's from my own hand or it's ex external. And I'm grief-stricken by all the things that happen around me. It may not even be in my own little family, but it hurts me. It says, uh, let me say, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory we will, He will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that day when God will reveal who His children really are. So we are no longer condemned because of sin and, sin and death no longer has mastery over us. You are His child. We will share in His glory, and we do share in His glory, and we will share in His suffering. But thank goodness Paul does not leave us hanging there. Because if we just left at that, we're just like, okay, I guess his life is just going to be all gloom and doom. And it's not. It is not. It is not without hope. So our hope, what is hope? Hope is confident expectation that God says what he says he's going to do. That it's true and nothing can change that. So he's in this next segment of uh, verses. He is, he's really telling us about the present suffering in light of the future glory that we're going to have. Verses 18 through 20, 25. And I'm going to read those two verses again that I read before, read before. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. And this suffering is the full range of human experience, y'all. It's not just one thing. It's not just persecution. It's sickness. It's natural, natural disaster. It's injury. It's, it's facing death of your loved one. It's, it's even financial troubles. It's maybe not having enough food. This is the kind of suffering that he's saying, that that suffering, if we are suffering those things, is nothing compared to the glory he's going to reveal to us later for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are but with eager hope the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time and we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory for we long for our bodies to be, be released from sin and suffering. So it's interesting because we live in this world that is full of sin and suffering. We haven't been taken out of it yet. And so we feel that. We feel the effects of sin. It may not be at our own hand, but it may be at the hand of someone else and someone that you love. And you feel the effects of sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. Including, including the new bodies he has promised us. Yoo-hoo! New body. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we, have already, if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. So this hope that we have, we were given to. It was given to us when we were saved. We were given hope at salvation. And no amount of hardship will compare to the glory that will be given to us later. We need to cultivate an eternal perspective. Because it ha really has everything to do about attitude. Faith has everything to do with the, our attitude. Amy agrees with me. Hope has everything to do with our attitude. And, and the next part, love, has everything to do about our attitude. And knowing that... Today is not the end all and be all. Yeah. We will know freedom from death and decay. 
We will, we will be given our full rights as son and daughters and new bodies. But make no mistake, we serve a God that can rescue us, that brings redemption, that brings healing today. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. We can say it with confidence. But Paul doesn't end his treatise here. He keeps on going. Because you may think, oh, man, I, don't, I can't take any more suffering. I can't take any more trials. Verse 26 to 28, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we do not know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So God can take all the things that invade your life and he can cause it for good. And I know that you have experienced that. Second, I love 2 Corinthians 12 where it says that, that God's strength is made perfect in my weakness, that his grace is sufficient for me, just like our brother Tony last week preached about. We need grace. We need grace. So the Holy Spirit prays for us according to his will. You can't get any better than that. Perfect prayer. We have that God is there to help us. He helps us in our weakness. And he takes everything that we experience and he causes it for good. Then Paul goes even further. He doesn't stop there at hope. Verses 31 through 34. What shall we say about such things? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? That's what we've got to remember. Since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. There it is. It goes back to what he told us in the beginning. Right standing. Not because of anything that we've done. You see, it's couched in all these things that might happen to us. It says, who then will condemn us? Because you are not condemned. That sin and that shame and the guilt that the enemy tries to heap on you, he's a big fat liar. Tell him to leave you alone. No one for Christ Jesus, no one for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor. And that's not the end of it. So when you think about faith and you think about hope, it, for it to mean anything to us, it's got to be in the context of love. Because faith and hope, especially if you're going through uh, struggles or trying time, you can look and say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm believing God and I'm hanging on. But you might feel alone or you might feel abandoned. Or because we trust in a wonderful, loving God, you may even think, he's being harsh to me right now. You may have hard thoughts about him. We've got to couch it in one thing, and that is God's love. We have to know it's God's love. It's got to be faith and hope have to properly be applied in God's love. Verse 35 through 37, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for yourself, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ's who loved us. So because of God's love, we are overwhelming conquerors through Christ. We're overwhelming. We are victorious. And, and nothing will ever separate us from the love of God demonstrated by Jesus. 
I'm ending with these words in this, this passage. Verse 38 through 39. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, neither fears for today nor our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he is talking about those that have faith in God that are founding in him. Our identity as sons and daughters it's not altered by our circumstances. It's not altered by our sickness. It's not altered by the lit by angels or demons attacking us. Well, Amos don't att- angels don't attack us; they help us. But you know, it's not altered by our fears for today and our worries for tomorrow. It is the even the powers of hell do not alter our standing with Christ. So the statement to say, well, when you understand who you are in Christ, then you've arrived. Well, I'm saying that God gives us that. We are that. We just need to build ourselves up in that because we are more than conquerors. And nothing is going to separate us from that. We need to matter. We need to remember what matters most is that God loves us so passionately. He loves us that much. Lamentations 3.22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. We live in a culture that is that is. Uh, has short-lived infatuation, right? But you know what? I know the one that has infatuation that has lasted from the beginning of time. And it never changes. It never changes. We love infatuation, and it feels good. But that is Jesus. That is Jesus to us. Faith, hope, and love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 just caps it off. It says three things, these three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Faith is a total reliance. It is a persuasion that God is with you and that he has saved you. Hope that that God is with us and we have so much to look forward to. And day does follow night, y'all. It does. And a love, a love so fierce that God gave his all just to have us. Just to, just to, so nothing can separate us. He has this thing. You can trust him. You can trust him. He sees us. His name is El Roi, the God who sees. So if you're having struggles in your life right now, he sees you. Let me just add this about Aspen. So uh, in June, Aspen had some trouble. She ended up going to the emergency room. They discovered that she had uh, an issue called intestinal malrotation that she was born with. Now, she had gone to doctor after doctor after doctor. And what did, and she, so many times she thought, I know they think I'm crazy. They think I'm crazy. It's all in my head. But she found out that there was a real problem. And God had the right person at the right time to reconstruct her intestines. Because it's something that she was born with. And she trusted God and he brought her to the end of it. And that is a good, that's how God works. Now she had to wait all that time. I want to read one last verse for you that is so important to me. And it's that we've got to trust the Lord. Trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. 
Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you have healing for your body and strength for your bones because sometimes we don't understand it. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would grow in faith, hope, and the understanding of your love. And Lord, for anyone that is, is losing heart right now, I pray, Jesus, that you would lift them up today. Let them sense you. Give them your grace. Lord, I pray that we would all be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in your work. Because we know the days are evil, Lord, but you are good. And Lord, that we would not judge people because of their circumstances, but that we would be your hands and your feet that offer hope and love when people are suffering and struggling. So I pray this in the name of Jesus, looking to you for all things. Amen.